Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways and not just on Saturdays. Hey, party people. It's Anna David with the After Party Pod. I'm sort of proud of myself that I have never said that before. Party people. Yeah. Anyway, this is the podcast all about addiction recovery. But we have fun. We're not earnest. If this was a website, which by the way, it is. I don't know if you're going to the accompanying website. But this website does not have rainbows and sunshine and hands up in the air you know how all those rehabs, if you if you Google rehabs, which I, maybe you do, but if you Google image, it's always like hands up in the air, like to God and great. However, you know, that's wonderful. That's not me. I'm not into earnest, but I'm into real and honest. And yeah, I don't know how this intro has already devolved this way. But anyway, um, I'm good. Thanks for asking. Things are things are good. Um and, you know, the podcast is now every other week. I don't know. Do you guys like that? You have continued to send me. You know what? The emails have slowed down. I'm going to be honest. You have not continued to send me emails that are deeply meaningful to me and occasionally make me cry. Um, but I know you're still listening because you're still downloading it. And um, this is not a plea. This is not go send me, go stop this right now and go send me an email telling me how much this means to you. But it's, it is a... If you were thinking of sending an email and you thought, nah, I shouldn't, or or what maybe, I do sometimes get emails, which is adorable, that say, I don't know if you read your own email. Ugh. If only I could find, one day be important enough to have somebody uh, read my email. Oh, I did get a really nice email. This was a while back, but I'm not complaining. Oh my God, it was really, really nice. And, you know, I always... I, you know, I, I don't want to ever reveal too much about them, but a lovely girl who, uh, who's been listening to the podcast and, uh, told me that she, she listens at night when she's falling asleep. And, um, yeah, I mean, look, I'm not trying to sell you. You're already here. So anyway, it just means a lot, a lot, a lot when you tell me, uh, that you listen. Anyway, let's get to today's guest. Um, who receives a lot of email about, I know this, I know this. I haven't even seen it, but I know it for sure. Uh, he is he is a great guy. He is a controversial guy, I would say, in recovery circles. Um, his name is Mishka Shubali. Uh, great name, great guy. I met him because, well, here's who he is. He's a writer and a musician, and he... Uh, he has an MFA from Columbia and all that, but who cares? There's lots of people who have those, am I right? But not all of them are best-selling authors. He 
wrote, he is the most successful Kindle singles author that exists. Now, Kindle singles, for the uninitiated, are books that Amazon hires people directly to to write. So it's a book deal. You're not just uploading a book to Amazon. Um, you have actually been assigned this by Amazon. They have told you that they want you to write, it, and they're short. They're 20 to 30 pages. They sell for $1.99 or $2.99 or whatever it is in the special Kindle single section of Amazon. And and I've actually done two. I'm not hyping my own, but I, I did uh, one called Animal Attraction and one called They Like Me, They Really Like Me, uh, neither of which were as close to as successful as Mishka Shubali's. Um, he has done, how many has he done? I mean, more than anybody else. One, two, three. I, I, yeah, I really pr- don't. I should have known the number before I started. But his, uh, his, his big one was The Long Run, which is about how he, he, li- he writes a lot about, uh, you know, alcoholism, drinking, partying, the whole thing. And he got sober um, and became an obsessive, I hope he doesn't mind my saying that, long distance runner uh, and, you know, is in all those impressive races I don't even know the names of, but, you know, anyway, and he defines sobriety differently than than a lot of people. Um, he doesn't, you know, taking mushrooms is, is all part of it. He is not a, he is not a 12 step guy, though he is unlike many who are not 12 step people. He, uh, absolutely understands that it helps people. He recommends that people go there. Um, he is also a musician and, um, he has records called how to make a bad situation worse. And thanks for letting me crash. He, uh, he plays in the band uh, Fresh Kills, not the Fresh Kills, Fresh Kills, and um, and he's now doing his uh, his a full length book, and he is, I mean, Google him, Google image him if you haven't. He's he's the best looking guest we've had, and I'm not shallow, and we've had a lot of attractive guests, so you know whatever. I'm a professional above all else at times, anyway. Um, so. You can find out everything about him at his website, which I'm going to spell his name because it's not a name you've heard before, unless you know him. You've never heard this name before. Mishka Shubali, M-I-S-H-K-A-S-H-U-B-A-L-Y. MishkaShubali.com. Here he is. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh my god, I think my copy has like blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Hardy animal, I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as right. I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? And these are, you realize these crackers are fucking married, they're like a hundred dollars a cracker. Do you want one? They're not. They're, it's, from, it's from Whole Foods. I think you need to try one. It's really great to chew into a microphone. I feel like this is a very California cracker. This is not like a saltine. We are, we are not putting on the Ritz with these. We are not putting on the Ritz with these. Um, they look. It just looks like it's made out of tree bark. It kind of is. I mean, you'll hate it. But it's super helpful. It'll align my chakras. It might. And, uh, it might. Just be, Has being in L.A. aligned any of your chakras? Oh, man. <laughs> Not so far. <laughs> Wait an hour. After this, this could have been it. All right. We'll see. Um, okay. I'm, I'm going to... 
totally, this is all... I'm just talking for the very beginning, because you have so, too much to say for me to interrupt, but speaking of chakras, the reason I'm late, it's the worst reason in the world. I was getting a psychic reading. Oh, man. I'm just going to interview you now. Oh, my God. It was... That's not the weird part. Okay, so I was supposed to do this story for this un, unnamed publication, and they said, do a story about the best psychics in L.A. I spent, like... I'm not kidding. Ten hours of work trying to find this stuff out. They were like, do this, don't do it, whatever. And then they canceled the story on Friday. Um, I, I fucking love freelance writing. <laughs> it's just... The, you, when you're a freelance writer, you spend the bulk of your time... Complaining chase, about that? Well, no, chasing a job. Yeah. And then fighting to get paid afterwards. Yeah. It's bullshit. Yeah. I, saw, I read something the other day that there's... In the freelance writing market, there's $13 million up for grabs. For everybody. Are you saying that's a lot or a little? How many freelance writers do you know? We know, like, a shitload. Yeah. $13 million? That's, yeah. That's nothing. Yeah. I, you know what, though? It's sort of like statistics about sobriety. Look how I turn it around. Really? How are they going to get all that? How are they going to get that figure? They don't know what I pay my freelancers. There are a yeah. million random websites like mine. You know what when, I mean? When I have to start, like, really digging into doing freelance writing, I'm just going to do, like, the on-demand porn stories <laughs> where it's like, okay, it uh, takes place in a library, uh, the woman has red hair, go. Well, what do you mean? What is an on-demand porn story? Like, that's a real living you can make? Well, I... I, I Jeez, it was probably 10 or 15 years ago now. I remember reading that um, some writer who I'm blanking on, you know, while... Oh, between, Jerry Stahl. Was it Jerry Stahl? I don't think so. I think it was uh, further back than okay, that. Okay, okay. Um, but that, you know, he made, you know, the way that he financed, you know, um, living and surviving while he was writing novels was writing these sort of like, you know, specific, you know, specifically set, um, you know, like erotic stories right. for, for people who would request, you know, okay, you know, there's... <laughs> Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, uh, Gang two, two sisters. Well, no, it would be like two sisters in Connecticut and a Volvo. Or, <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I was like, the least erotic car yeah, imaginable. <laughs> New Yorkers, <laughs> boring erotic stories. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wait, I have heard of that. Um, but okay. But yeah. So, so yeah, real Oh, uh, by the way, they were paying me. $15. But I was so this into is, it because I was getting free psychic readings, so I was like, yeah, I'll yeah, you, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but anyway, I already had an appointment, so I went. Uh -huh. You know, I was like, oh, I already made it. I walk in, and it's... Okay, I go to an exercise thing that's like nine people in the world go to. It's called GST. No one's ever heard of it. I can't describe it. It's amazing. I knew him from GST. Like, we saw, we worked out together yesterday. Uh -huh. so oh. So weird. Okay, that's really interesting. He was the psychic. Did he gaze into uh, the, crystal ball, the crystal ball and said, say, uh, you're working in a field where you're chronically underpaid? <laughs> <laughs> no, he told me, he told me that I was going to be like the next Marion Williamson. Um, I, I don't know. It's weird that there's a Marion Williamson quote above here, but I'm not, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that I see that. But, but he also thought, he's like, oh, your website, it's, it's about film. I'm like, you're not good at this, are you? Um, and I didn't like a lot of the stuff he told me, so. Yeah. I'm, 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 it's hard to know, was he not telling me what I didn't want to hear, or is he about psychic? They, yeah. They, they, they felt, feel the same to me. My, my official stance on that stuff is that it's a bunch of crap. Yeah, I'm not but, surprised you think that. But there's a bunch... 
unofficially, there's been a lot of stuff that's happened in my life that I like can't really explain. Um, and I just try not to think about it because it doesn't conform to my cynical worldview. <laughs> but like things that you have been told or things that are inexplicable just as they happen. Um, things that have happened to me firsthand, you know, where I'm like, well, there's, there's no rational explanation for why this has happened. Okay. Well, now you have to tell me. Are we already going to get into... Oh, we're not. I'm already steering us in a very LA crystal waving... Perfect. Patchouli, incense burning direction. That's the last thing I want to do. I want to bring the like New York hate... The bitterness, I will the acerbic. You, uh, I don't think you, you know, can help but bring that. So no worries. But we did point out that your chakras might be aligned by the end of this. Um, but no, uh, come on. That's great. This is great. I would never think I would get from you your bizarre, co- unexplained coincidences or whatever you're going to tell me. I, um, I always... I always fight with uh, Rich Roll about this stuff. Oh, I love arguing with Rich about this stuff. And uh, um, and I'm, obviously I love Rich to No, death. I know. And he's he's an amazing dude. But every time I talk to him, he's like, you know, you know, Mishka, you just need to, you know, like raise the level of your vibration. And I'm like, Rich, I'm, I love you and I'm going to strangle you because yeah. you're fucking killing me with this. Yeah. And, um, but uh, I love... I love being proved wrong mm-hmm. because when you're, when you get proved wrong, it, you're learning something. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I, I value the experiences that I've had that don't conform to my over my overall worldview. My, uh, in 2001, my friend Jacob died mm-hmm. and it sucked. And, uh, we knew a woman, uh, Vicky in St. John who, um, had, had known Jacob and known his family and like she's she's a little like sensitive she mm-hmm. knew that he had died before word had gotten out that he had died mm-hmm. and then um, later that year I went down there and she does uh, rolfing or mm-hmm. yeah yeah of course you know what that is yeah, we're in LA I was, I was about, I was about to give you a footnote and no. you're and yeah alright um, there are people outside of LA who listen to this podcast so it's deeply intense Massaged-ish that brings out feelings. Is that the way you describe it? Um, well, I mean, the way that it was described to me was um, structural integration, just making your body line up. Maybe they left out the emotional part okay. when describing it to me because they knew that I would you just be do like, it. "Yeah, yeah." Um, but um, I love Vicky, and you know, totally trust her, and sort of you know, hold her in the highest esteem. You know, she's a, you know, been a friend of our family for a long time, and uh, I was. You know, in 2001, I was, you know, particularly troubled um, with the loss, you know, with the loss of my friend and also, you know, drinking a ton. Yeah. Um, So in exchange for like doing some painting around her apartment, she, you know, she did like a session with me. And um, at one point I was lying there on my side with my eyes closed and suddenly instead of seeing like my own body... I saw Jacob's body, mm-hmm. you know, where, and it freaked me out a little bit. And then I was like, no, nothing, nothing bad's going to happen. It's Jacob, you know, like, um, so, so I was like, well, let's just see how, how far, just go into it. How far does this go? And so I just sort of like started at my feet that were his feet. And I could see sort of like, in, you know, in my mind, you know, just sort of like 
uh, reg- t- taking an inventory of my body or whatever. Mm-hmm. I could see his body. And uh, it was a little weird. And then Vicky said, um, all right, Jacob, will you, can you roll over? And, but she knew him and knew he had died. She, yeah, she knew him and she knew he had died. Right. And she knew that he and I were friends. But she, I don't, but I, did she know what was happening to no. me at that right. moment? Well, she did, but you hadn't told her. Yeah. And then I like opened my eyes and looked at her and she, and she was sort of like smiled and she was like, it's okay. And I was like, okay. You know, I trust her. She said it's okay. And then I like rolled over on my other side, closed my eyes and I was like, can I go back into this? And I went right back into it. Um, I can't explain that. What? <laughs> I want to explain it in a in a very rational, you know, oh, it's a projection or wish fulfillment or something like that. Or I, I missed my friend. I wanted to feel close to him. I was with somebody I trusted. I allowed myself to. But that at that very moment that I was sort of detecting him in my body, that she then called me by his name. Well, but also detecting little, him in your body alone is a truly bizarre. Yeah, that's thing. never happened to me before or since, and and I had a bunch of um, experiences like that with him after he died. Where the same thing with him in your body, or well, weird where things? our our lives were sort of conflated. Mm-hmm. You know, he came to me in a dream, and uh, you know, and I was like, dude, like. Oh my God. So, you know, this was like maybe a week or 10 days after his death. I was like, so good to see you. Like, why is it taking you so long to like come and see me? And he was like, well, you know, I did have obligations of the familial variety, if you understand. And I was like, and he, he always spoke like that. Like, right. why speak in a fluid, natural manner when you can speak in the most obstin- you know, ostentatious, erratic. <laughs> right. <laughs> Non-colloquial. Yeah, and I was like, oh, all right, fuck you, dude. I, yes, okay, I understand what you're saying. And, you know, he had a new shirt, and I was like, man, is that a new shirt? Like, you look sharp. And he was like, oh, you know, they, yeah, they give us a small stipend here for clothing. Which was, again, that's his sense of humor, not right, mine. Right, You know, and he was, like, cracking jokes with me. And then I was like, I have great news. I'm going to finish your thesis so you can graduate posthumously. And he was like, well, this is terrible news. I can think of no worse person <laughs> to finish my thesis than you. And I was like, well, no, dude, I'm not, I'm not going to do it in my voice as me. I'm going to, you know, just lightly edit your work and turn it in. And then he sort of, he was like, really, really got into it and was like, okay, you need to do this. You need to do that. And like, um, you need to talk to this person. And he wanted me to talk to his ex-girlfriend. And then I was like, wait, 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 I'm not giving you my life right i'm just gonna finish the two weeks of work yeah 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 and he then he looked a little dismayed and he was like okay okay all right you know we'll do the thesis thing and then yeah he like gave me like you know all these directions and stuff and i sort of like woke up and i was like um did you do it you didn't finish his thesis yeah i you did i um and and once I was working in the computer lab um, at Columbia, um, you know, with whatever, 35 other kids, you know, around me, and I was working on his on his thesis, and there was one line that was, like, so awkward and so, just had no flow to it whatsoever, and I was like, I know this is how he wrote and this is how he wanted it, but I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, like, let myself neaten this up just right. so that it scans a little better. And I, so I deleted what he had written 
went in to retype it and the keyboard just typed uh, letters that didn't pretentious no it typed out letters that didn't correspond to what I was typing oh my god and I was like okay I just have my hands in the wrong place so I went like backed up deleted what I had just written made sure that my my hands and fingers were in the right place and then started typing again and it happened again words that he would use or gibberish gibberish and, and also, you know, you hit the G key and a V comes up and, you know, and you hit the S key and an H comes up. It, what I, what I was typing did not correspond to what was showing up on the screen. And it was more alarming to me that there were 30 other people around me while this was happening than it, than it would have been if I had, I been on my own. Because was, you wouldn't have believed it or? Yeah, 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 yeah. If, if. If I had been on my own, it would have been easy to say, like, oh, you just, you know, too much coffee or too hungover or whatever. But there were, I was in public, there were other people there, and it fucking freaked me out. So I just, like, I was like, oh, I, like, saved the stuff, just, like, walked away. And then I came back a day later, restored what I had changed, and it was, and never had that problem again. That is so bizarre. And but did you turn it in and did it I, I turned he graduated it in, posthumously I, or whatever? I, I turned it in and he graduated posthumously, yeah. Oh that's okay. So okay, the interesting thing about that in you is that you know, you are sort of decidedly is it fair to say non spiritual? <laughs> I think yes, I think that is a um, that's accurate. I'm, I'm not, you know, I know so many people who say like, oh, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. I'm, I'm not spiritual. I'm not religious. I, I, you know, I think, um, I believe in the physical world. I believe what we, you know, in what we see and what we can touch. And I don't believe in, you know, you know, somebody gave me, a friend of mine gave me a keychain that says vibes, uh-huh. which is just to fuck with me <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> because that's not my, you know, it's not my thing at all. But you know, also like, um, you know, my mom used to say all the time when I was a kid, you know, just put a smile on your face and you'll feel better. And I was like, mom, that's bullshit. Like, what do you know? You know, no, it's totally true. If yeah. you smile and it's like proven in laboratories yes. by scientists in yes. white coats, if you smile, your body will respond and you'll feel happier. Yeah. You know, oh, meditation. Oh, it's such garbage, such crap. You know, I was like, you know, bickering with Rich about that. I tried it one day. Oh yeah, it's totally, totally, totally worked for me. And then, uh, you know, and then I looked it up. Oh yeah, totally real, scientifically proven. Yeah, Med- meditation is real. Yeah, and, you know, it it does have a profound effect on your brain function. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm um, I'm skeptical, but I'm not dogmatic. You know, I mean, if somebody proves me wrong, like I've been proved wrong, you know, and, and let's like move forward from there. Um, I, I do think that, you know, I mean, there's a lot of concepts that, that are just accepted as, um, you know, accepted as true or, um, universally applicable or something like that. You know, this concept of a soulmate. Mm -hmm. Well, in my experience, the, when that word has the most most oftentimes that I've encountered that word, it's when a woman is in a terrible relationship and she's using it as a def- as a reason for not leaving the guy who's treating her like garbage. And and yeah. that that to me for the outcome. So the outcome of that, um, 
women allowing themselves to be treated horribly. Yeah. If you backtrack from there, that proves to me that the concept of soulmate is garbage. You know, and and we need to like enter into a relationship as rational people that like, you know, eighty percent of you I love. The other twenty percent drives me nuts. Right. And I'm just gonna have to like deal with that. Somehow yeah, find let, let it ride that. or yeah. ignore it or you know accept it and um, and also understand that our relationship is gonna is going to work not because of some divine hand but right. because of what you and I put into it. Right. You know. Right. Um, I, I really, you know, people will say, oh, you don't believe in God. You know, how can you be ethical? You know, well, there, you know, right. there's my religious right. mantra, you know, the tattoo that says be good. You know, I mean, if, if you live in a godless world, then in a world that's just chaos, I think there's more responsibility on human beings to create good in the world. Right. You know, than to see ourselves as puppets or something. I've really had a lot of coffee. It's great. It's great. I don't, I don't even have to ask questions. But I mean, people actually say, if you don't believe in God, how can you be ethical? I mean, that seems ludicrous to me. Yeah, but you're smarter than the average bear. So true. Um, so true. Let's talk about that. <laughs> so, you, so you go around and you talk to idiots about spirituality, is what you're telling me. No, they're not idiots. They're people who are very online, dogmatic. Believe- they're oh, online oh. commenters, oh, which are you know, the worst of the worst. You don't yeah. read those. You read those? Oh, are you kidding? You I, read everyone. Oh, man. I, yeah. Well, this is the thing is that um, you know, people say, oh, why do you do that? Why do you torture yourself? Every once in a while, man, um, I'll, I'll read something that somebody's written in, and it's hilarious. Yeah. Or it's really insightful. Yeah. Or they're trying to attack me in a way that I find, you know, hilarious. I, you know, I don't read all the reviews on my stories and stuff like that. But, you know, when people write to me, I, I, you know, I read, I read every single thing that people write to me. And, you know, people email you negative shit. Uh, yeah, not, I mean, it's overwhelmingly positive, but a lot of people, you know, will call me out on my position with AA, my position on mushrooms, my addiction to running right you know yeah but you know and you know these are sort of old things for me um but um but yeah i get that shit all the time and i welcome it you know i mean i i I do i believe that you know dialogue is the way for everybody you know everybody to move forward and uh if you just stick with your um you know you know your liberal left-wing you know, vegan buddies, um, you're not doing any good. Right. You, you should be, you know, John Joseph said, you know, he's, he's like, you know, I'm not going to go to veg, you know, veg fest or whatever. He's like, I want to talk to the guy at McDonald's. Yeah. You know, yeah. that that's the proving ground right there. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, to count internet commenters, anonymous in, in, internet commenters as people let alone people <laughs> know, to have like, a dialogue with is generous I would say yeah yeah it's true I mean man the, the internet really just brings the worst out in everybody it does it does I I don't read most of the shit like but I read the reviews of this podcast oh yeah yeah I will and I have gotten such helpful feedback from those assholes like most yeah. of the reviews are so nice but, you know, there are people who are like, she says right too much. And and, um, <laughs> and she talks about herself too much. And, like, things that I've taken to heart and incorporated. Yeah. Um, but 
It took a long time to get there, I think. That's why I don't have my mother read my work yeah. when I'm trying to uh, oh. when I'm trying to like get it done, get it, make it good. I give it to her, and she's like, "Oh, I just I love it. It's brilliant." You know? Yeah. Yeah, mom. No, that yeah. doesn't help me at all. Tell me what sucks. Well, no, I just think it's so great. All right, mom, you're fired. Right. <laughs> I need right. to find. You know, so it's I. You know, I try and find that. Uh, you know, people who are uh, my friend Zach is has a finely tuned ear for sexual bias and um, sharper than a lot of women I know, or maybe just more outspoken about mm-hmm. it, or maybe we've just, just been friends for such a long time that he feels very comfortable being like, Michigan, you jerk, you have to change that. Right. Um, so, you know, he's an invaluable reader because he has no um, no qualms about hurting my feelings or... Yeah. Um, you know, the agent that I have right now, the first time that I met him, he sat down and just hurt my feelings and uh, I was like okay you're the dude because I, I don't need somebody to, to pat my head you know I need somebody to say this needs to be better here yeah you know? yeah um, and someone you know and also when you know when you meet those people who are comfortable giving you hard information um, or unpleasant information you know they're being straight with you yeah you know as opposed to someone who's like you know Oh, no, honey, you look fine. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I want that. I want the 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 like rose colored glasses or whatever, or the pendant, whatever you want to call it. Unless it comes to writing, unless it comes to feedback for writing, because somehow I just don't. From people trying to help me, I do not take it personally. I don't know. Yeah. It took a while, but wait, let's talk about your writing. Okay, so so basically, you uh, at Columbia, you mm-hmm. met David Blom. Is this? I want to talk about the career oh, of writing no, and, and how and we got to get into the drinking and the, yeah. the drinking was and all that stuff. We're like going to have to talk incredibly quickly because yes. we have a lot to work. A through. lot. Let's do gibberish. Let's do like peanuts. <laughs> um, but but I like I like talking about them side by side. Okay. Um, should, should we start with where I met David Blum? Let's start with when you started writing because it was way before that. I started writing when I was like six. Wow. Um, my mom wanted to be a writer. And so, and she was, you know, she wanted the two things she wanted to do in her life. She wanted to be a writer and she wanted to be a mom. Mm -hmm. And so when we were kids, um, we had access to tons and tons of books and she was always reading to us and everything was, you know, sort of narrative and story and, you know, playing games, you know, that involved story and imagination and stuff like that. And, um, she has stuff that, you know, stories that I told her that sort of, that she wrote down and then, um, I think the first time I recall being, embarrassed um, about my writing is in sixth grade I wrote a story and the teacher stood up and read it in front of the class and cried and I was like oh god this is terrible um, and uh, but yeah so I mean I, I think I always had I was always gifted at writing and that's you know that's what I came out of you know the, a narrative um, a narrative tradition you know you know, jokes and narrative songs and um, narrative games and um, and books and books and books, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, when I discovered guitar and then cigarettes and alcohol, I tried to jettison that mm-hmm. um, in favor of following my, my spirit animal slash from Guns N' Roses. <laughs> <laughs> and I failed to do that. Um, Still time. Yeah. 
it, man, being in LA, I'm just like, Slash, I can feel you. I can feel your vibes. Slash? Yeah. You can? So, so, okay. So you, you knew that you could write you, but you were writing music in your quest to become Slash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I knew that I would never be a shredder. So when I, when I was like 13 or something, I started writing songs. Mm-hmm. And uh, just, you know, terrible you know, power ballads and stuff. I was so glad that I, you know, there was no garage no band. Them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, I, I guess I got started to get serious about, about writing when I was uh, in undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and that was at Columbia? Uh, no, undergrad was uh, University of Colorado. Okay. Um, which is t- the, probably the worst place in the world for, for me. For an alcoholic to be? Well, I mean, it, the, the defining elements of the student population at CU are, um, you know, the sports program, because it's a huge, you know, mm-hmm. state university, um, the, like, wealthy out-of-state students, and... Uh, and hippies, mm-hmm. and those are like three elements that I loathe. Mm-hmm. I, I hate sports. I you ne- are a major athlete. You just hate sports. I'm not a major athlete. I uh, I run, but I think running is more like uh, active therapy. Mm-hmm. Or um, I'm not competing against anyone else. I I don't. Um, for me, there is no finish line. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, it's more like a meditative practice. Jesus, you like, are I know! so hard, and it's not... I mean, I wonder if I'm, this will be your lifelong quest. I'm, I'm losing this battle to not become a hippie. You are in L.A., I so, so we'll, we'll take this as a potentially isolated incident. I'm, I'm moving here. Are you? Yeah. Smart. I know. It's so much better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, last night was miserable. We had a terrible night last night. Is I'm dude, so glad I know, didn't go. Douchebag promoter ripped us off. But um, my whole family lives in California now. I'm getting kicked out of my apartment. Um, I hate, you know, I, I feel like opening a vein every winter in New York. Yeah. Um, but um, but anyway, so yeah, I was at the University of Colorado. And mm-hmm. I, I wanted, you know, all my friends were going to film school. So I was like, I want to go to film school too. Because I had no idea what I wanted to do with myself. But all the film classes happened at night, and I had to work at Sonic Burger. Okay. Uh, to pay my way, mm-hmm. and um, so the only classes that I could take were the writing classes during the day, and then I, I took writing classes, and I did well and got you know good feedback from my uh, my professors, and and I loved it, you know, um, and then. Uh, you know, after I got my uh, my undergrad degree, I did nothing, and my drinking got worse and worse. And so I and I, I moved to New York, and I said, I'm going to apply to one graduate school, and then if I don't get in, I'll go to rehab. So let's talk about your drinking. When did you start drinking? Uh, probably 13. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I... Uh, do you remember your first drink? I don't remember my first drink because, um, you know, we were always like, you know, having a sip of our dad's beer or mm-hmm. like, you know, a sip of wine or something like that. But I remember my first drunk and I remember, it was, you know, like a, whatever, six pack of Bud Tallboys, you know, up by the railroad tracks. Uh, Alone or with people? With my, uh, with my sister's ex-boyfriend and a couple other, you know, a couple other people. And I just remember like, man, like the feel of a, uh, 
freezing cold 16 ounce beer in your hand and I was just like you know I I feel like a man you Mm -hmm. know and then when I was you know as I I was getting drunk I was like this is this is just phenomenal like this is who I'm gonna be you know this is what I'll do and fuck everything else you know I'm just I'm gonna do this all the time yeah (laughs) and I did yeah (laughs) yeah and what, so did you just stick with, you didn't stick with just drinking beer, but so, so you, high school, college, you're drinking in Colorado. Uh, well, I, I left, um, high school after two years and, um, so when I was 15, I started a college program. Mm-hmm. Um, by that point I was already like, you know, drinking vodka or whatever. And then when I went away to, uh, Simon's Rock, um, you know, no parental supervision. So, you know, drinking, you know, dropping acid, drinking cough syrup. Mm-hmm. You know, things things got really uh, out of control, like, pretty quickly. How does the transition go from drinking alcohol to drinking cough syrup? Well, the motion is the same. <laughs> <laughs> One day, did someone say to you, was it you open your medicine cabinet, and you're like, I bet this would be good? No, it was it was sort of like, a, you know, a common lore in the school that if you, you know, drank this dosage of this type of cough syrup, that you would, you know, you would sort of trip. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, so I tried it, and we tried it, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what we did for a long time. To this day, if somebody has, like, a cherry cough drop in their mouth, it makes me start to dry heave because I threw up from drinking uh. cough syrup so often. Uh. Um, yeah, it's a terrible thing. That's, like, for me, I see a mirror, or, you know, on the table, or even a CD case, which, luckily, you don't see that much anymore, and I immediately, first I go to excitement about yeah, cocaine, yeah. and then I go to depression. Like yeah, Wow, just like that. It's yeah. Like, it's like you could have all the effects of cocaine yeah. without cocaine. Yeah, exactly. That's a neat trick. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it all happens in a millisecond, so I don't know that it's lasting but by the way speaking of what we're talking about the psychic i just went to I, again i'm not sure how good he was or what he was talking about half the time but we were talking about coke and you know how i used to do it he was like cocaine was god to you you get that right and i'm like well you know i get it like in recovery people will often say and i and i do believe it that like people uh, oftentimes alcoholics were actually seeking God or seeking a spiritual solution and didn't know how to find it so found this shortcut mm-hmm. um, that you know that obviously didn't work and so yeah. you know and, and anyway um, I, I, it's like I've never talked this much about spirituality on the podcast and I'm trying <laughs> to convert you or see how far I can get but the world is clearly trying to convert you so anyway so the you, universe the universe the universe, the universe. So God is trying to convert you. Uh, so you drinking, drinking cough syrup, taking, tripping, um, yeah. and then, and that was your priority. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, at heart, I'm a good boy, and like, and I love my mom, mm-hmm. and I always, you know, tried hard to to be good, to be a good boy, and mm-hmm. to like not get in trouble and to not act out in class and not be an idiot. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was impossible for me. It was, I just, uh, why do you think that is that it was impossible? Um, partially because, um, you know, partially because I just had behavior issues, you know, as a kid and I, you know, I think I was angry, angry at my father and like, you know, we moved a lot and I'd gotten picked on a lot. 
and also partially because fucking high school is bullshit, man. And, uh, you know, I mean, I remember, like, um, being grilled by one of my teachers, you know, who was like, you know, you know, my science teacher, oh, you think you're such hot shit, you know, like, you're, you're really not. And, you know, and I was like, oh, yeah? You know, did you ace this course when you were my age? No, you didn't. And that's why you're a teacher and not, right. and not a fucking scientist. So right. don't bust my balls. Right. Can you imagine having me in class? I was this big when I was like 14. Right. It must have been a fucking nightmare for yeah. my teachers. But, I mean, true. I mean, no, nobody, you're not allowed to say that shit, yeah. obviously. Yeah. And I don't think most, I didn't know that in high school. I think I still thought my teachers, I, they, they were idiots. I'm sorry. <laughs> my high school had the worst teachers ever. Uh, and it's renowned for being amazing. I'm just going to say that. An unnamed <laughs> high school that I've written about extensively in business, <laughs> but whatever, Google. Um, so, but you were only in high school for two years? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I mean, we moved from Los Alamos, New Mexico, where, you know, it's a community built around the National Laboratory where almost everybody, you know, almost every family is, you know, one or two rocket scientist parents, you know, so the, like the, the public school was amazing, you know, mm-hmm. very, um, valued intellectualism, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then we moved to New Hampshire, the whitest state in the union, mm-hmm. the poorest school district in New Hampshire. And it was just, it was just, I mean, it was just boring and bureaucracy and, and, you know, I wasn't popular. And Even though you were the big, you were this big. Yeah. Well, I, I just I didn't. Well, there's a, there's a certain sort of stripe of males who are who always want to fight the big guy. Okay. Know? So I, when I left high school, I was on the verge of getting expelled for fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I had an attitude problem and just like wouldn't let myself be pushed around. I finally sort of figured out how to fight back and to fight back. Um, but yeah, it was a miserable experience. I couldn't wait to get out of there. And then going to Simon's Rock was just like awesome because, you know, we were, we were treated like, you know, um, adults in training, right? you know, not like second class citizens or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and the quality of the education there was was top notch. So, okay, so how much of this attitude problem and all of that is related? Do you think to drinking? Um, I think that I sought out drinking as a cure, yeah, for my depression and my anger and my insecurity and my self self-loathing and stuff like that and of course it was you know sort of the the worst most most hopeless cure ever because right. it just per, you know perpetuated all those issues yeah but I didn't become um, an insecure angry guy from drinking I drank because I was an insecure angry guy yeah you know um, you know and I think a lot of that has to do with my father you know, guys like me, the bad tattoos and daddy issues. Yeah. Dime a dozen, Anna. Well, the, ta- the tattoos a little bit are a result of the daddy issues. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I really need to get the tattoo that just says, please ask me about my parents' divorce. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have this theory that every time I saw a tattoo that the person was saying to me, I'm scared. 
Hmm. That that was what they were communicating to me. I don't know. I don't know about that theory. I had four. I got them removed. Wow. Really? I, yeah. I got the. I had the theory years after the removal of the tattoos. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But okay. But I want to get to when the wheels fell off the bus. Yeah. So you're drinking. You're living in New York. You are a musician. Yeah. You're in grad school. Yeah. Uh, I was. Uh, I moved to New York with. Uh, $300 when I was 21 mm-hmm. in 1998 mm-hmm. and uh, joined a band mm-hmm. um, and the, you play uh, I play bass and I play mm-hmm. guitar mm-hmm. and uh, and then I got into Columbia and mm-hmm. so I was like trying to you know play in this band and you know it was my dream that we were going to make it big and um, but then also doing graduate school which you know, everybody in, in graduate school was like, what the fuck are you doing playing in this band, man? And I was like, you have no idea what this means to me. Yeah. Um, and, um, but, you know, this is the thing, though, is that um, for better and for worse, I was really good at holding it down. Yeah. And I was shit-faced. I mean, I, I was, you know, I remember, like, locking myself in the bathroom with, like, DTs sometimes. And then, like you know, getting my shit together and like going to class or writing the paper or, you know, and like, you know, turning the stuff, you know, getting my paper in on, you know, my papers in on time, not missing class, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, and, uh, you know, that was, I think that's why I was able to, you know, I was like the train wreck that never completely went off the tracks, you know, just sort of like falling apart and still moving forward, you know, the walking dead, you know, did people know? Uh, Yeah. It was, I mean, it was pretty obvious. Um, I remember being at some, you know, some party and I think I was like blacked out on the, you know, on the couch or on the floor or something. And then I like sort of like got up and was like stumbling somewhere. And, and this girl had, you know, was in conversation to one, with one of my friends and then she whipped her head over and looked at me and she said, you got into Columbia? Mm-hmm. And I, I said... Does that make it better or make it worse? And she looked at me and she said, worse. <laughs> Were you like, bitch, I also graduated from high school in two years. So <laughs> you fucking chill out. Well, I, I always thought that that stuff was just a fluke. I was like, oh, well, any no matter how good uh, the the net is somebody's got to slip through. I just slipped through. Wow. Interesting. Interesting theory. So, okay. And so were you doing, you were mostly a drinker. Am I right? Not a drug guy. Yeah. Alcohol was always my, uh, my poison of choice, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I really like really only ever did Coke just so I could drink more, Mm -hmm. you know, cause Mm -hmm. I was too fucked up. And like, I, you know, I would do Coke just so I could, and the DTs, when you say, so you would have just, you do it up and then you decide to take a break, um, or that was before you drank that day, or how would that happen? Um, I, I, I would have like night terrors and panic attacks, and and also I was drinking to the point where I, like just weird things would happen with my body, where I would wake up and my hands were like frozen into claws, mm-hmm. or uh, my hands and my feet and my mouth all swelled up one day. Um, what is that a sign of? I mean, I don't know. You didn't, and you obviously didn't go to the doctor to try no. to find out. Yeah. Um, you know, and one time I like, you know, broke a bottle with my hand and then like woke up the next day and like just, you know, my bed was covered in blood and mm-hmm. I had to go on like $5,000 worth of like reconstructive surgery. Uh, so it was all over your body? To, to put it back together and like, mm. 
Yeah. Um, and I, I just thought that was my life. Yeah. That that's, that was how it was going to be. And, you know, stiff upper lip and like, just, you just get, you know, get through it. Um, and then what changed? What made you decide to change? Um, I was 32. Mm-hmm. And it's taken me a long time to realize what the... Emphasis? The, the, the pivotal moment was. Yeah. Um, but I was writing a song about, um, about my funeral and my ex coming to the, the funeral and who her plus one was going to be for my funeral. Like which guy, you know, right. who her new boy, boyfriend was that she was going to bring to my funeral. And, uh, when I was 20, I had this, I drank for three or four days and then woke up and I was having this, this crazy hallucination of this like underwater garden with you know, sort of like coral and fish and like, you know, sort of beckoning me in. And I, Sort of, it was a beautiful vision, but I understood that if I went too deeply into it, I would die. You mm-hmm. know that I would I would just be like lured in and then drown, mm-hmm. and it scared the shit out of me. And you know that was when I was twenty. Yeah. You know, Twelve years later, I had the epiphany that you know. So I wrote in this song. I said, um, "I've seen the underwater garden, and I'm not afraid to die." as much as I'm afraid to feel like dying every day for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I, I realized at 32, you know, at 20, I thought that, um, that alcohol would kill me. And at 32, I realized that my fate was way worse, that alcohol would never kill me. Right. It would just give me a life that was so degraded that, death would seem like a release right? and it would just be a living hell. And I just had the epiphany that I was like, this is bigger than, than I am. I, I can't win this fight. You know, this will just, this will crush me. This will destroy me. And, um, and I, you know, to realize that I was more afraid of life than I was of death. I was like, I, I got I to gotta fucking change everything. You know, I just need to, like, pull the emergency brake and start, you know, start over. I wonder how much that is a common experience that people are not conscious of. I mean, I, I relate to that a lot, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I had a very similar thing. I never talk about this, but I went in to, like, have a blood drawn. Uh, this was, I think, a week before I got sober. And I put my arms down for them to draw the blood. And I, my thought was, God, it's so good. I don't have track marks. That would be so embarrassing. I'd never shot drugs in my life. I had done heroin. And it was like this sudden, it was like the universe split. And I saw some crazy vision of, of what my life was going towards. Mm-hmm. And I got some a week later. It's funny. I, uh, I went to the free STD clinic mm-hmm. a couple of weeks after I got sober. And I, you know, I got checked out and they have, you know, answer, you know, all the, you know, drug and alcohol, you know, history and sexual partners and all that stuff. And there was this, you know, lengthy question after question after question after question. I wasn't feeling particularly well that day either. Yeah. And, um, and after going through the whole thing, you know, and this is like doctor talking to me about what I had, you know, I'm, 
I'm not a doctor, but I knew the answers that I was giving her and the answers that she wanted to hear (laughs) were two very different things, you know, and, um, you know, so she sort of went, you know, detailed my behavior, um, and the risks that I was, you know, I was creating for myself and for other people. And then she said, you know, um, I just have two more questions for you. Um, what is it exactly that you're going to do with your life? And what is your fucking problem? <laughs> and I feel like I should buy that doctor a pony. Because <laughs> I really, you know, I, I had so many people helping me and looking out for me for so long. Um, n- never help a drunk. Never help them. For the people who bought me breakfast or bought me lunch or paid my parking tickets or like helped me find a lawyer or whatever... All that did was just extend my drinking career. Yeah. You know, and what what helped was when my friends were finally like, dude, I I can't hang out with you anymore. Right. Like I just it's too depressing to watch. Right. You know? Um you know, and when they you know, my oldest inner circle friend started sort of like uh, you know, retreating. Um, that scared the shit out of me, man. That was, you know, there was nothing I feared more than being alone. Right. Um, even though drinking is the most isolating, drinking like that is the most isolating thing you can do. Oh, no way, man. When I was drinking, I was, that was, I was hanging out with my best buddy, the unconditional lover. Right. The, like, the listening voice, you know, it was just like me and my best friend, you know? Um, okay, so you said to yourself, I'm not going to do that AA. I'm not going to do the 12 step. Yeah, I, I knew that it, I, I just knew that it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. I knew that I couldn't do it. Um, and so how much willpower was involved, is involved? Well, Anna, I'm going to come clean to you and tell you, you. that... I'm a pretty hard-headed guy. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you know this about me. I know this. I'm a a pretty headstrong dude. So you just made a decision and that was that? Yeah, it takes me a long time to come to a decision. I recognized when I was 17 that I was an alcoholic. And I... But I knew... Even then, I knew people who were, like, flip-flopping. Like, oh, I gotta quit. Oh, I'm, I'm gonna just have one beer. Oh, you know, no, I'm quitting for real. This, like, hell of just, like trying to quit and failing and trying to quit and failing and trying to quit and failing. And, and for some reason, I, I, this is, it sounds like a crazy thing to say is a good thought, but for me, it was a good thought. I just, I realized I'm just going to drink until I can't drink anymore. Right. And then I'm never going to drink again. You know, I'm, I'm just going to like, I'm going to run it out. I'm going to, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to burn this urge out and, you know, by the by the time I was finally ready to quit, when I was thirty two, I hadn't had a good drink in a long time. You know, right. I was just having the same bad drink and the same bad drunk over and right. over again. So when I quit, uh, you know, the the it's like the the vault doors closed, and it was just like none shall pass. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing nothing will get through this. And I was challenged, you know, early and often. I mean, you know, two months after I got sober, I got a job working in a bar. Right. Um, and then, you know, 
Boy Mites, I like grabbed the wrong, you know, cup at the door. And instead of getting like my Diet Coke, I got a big mouthful of rum and Coke or something like that, you know? And that, that's a great opportunity to be like, well, I already cheated, so, you know, shots, you know? Yeah, but I mean, that's, yeah. cool. that's beyond bullshit. I mean, absolutely, absolutely. And and and, uh, and I didn't, and I never yeah. did. Or, you know, you meet you meet all sorts of interesting people in bars, you know? So I, I met some, you know, girls who were like, you know, well, what if I take this vodka in my mouth and then kiss you? And then and I would be like, well, that's when I call you a taxi. Um, right. Do you... But you've made out with girls who have been drinking. Yeah, yeah. I, um... I secretly love it. Not, <laughs> not the girls. I don't do that. But, but yeah, no, I do. And I don't think that's so bad. Yeah, this is the thing, man, is that... I mean, I... Listen, whatever works. I, I know that my process, you know, doesn't work for everyone and wouldn't work for everyone. But one of the things that was great for me about working in a bar right away is that there was no illusion that there was a, a barrier between me and alcohol. Right. You know, if I want, if, you know, if I want a drink on a Sunday, fucking, and I can't get into a bar, scope, Listerine, right. you know, hand sanitizer, rubbing alcohol. If I want a drink, I'm going to take a drink. Yeah. What I need is the clarity in my head that there's nothing that can happen in this world that will make me take a drink. I just needed to get just that thing. Nothing can make me drink. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, to, to kiss a girl I'm attracted to who has, like, wine on her breath or, like, you know, um, you know, vodka cranberry, that was, like, the, you know, a good morning drink to sort of, like, get things rolling, you know? Right. Um, it, um, you know, it's sort of, like, you know, fond memory or nostalgic or whatever, but I have a great memory and I remember every hangover. I, I remember like throwing up blood in public on the street, you know, or just like laying on the floor of my bathroom, like unable to get up or like, you know, throwing up on myself and like throwing up through my nose. You know, I mean, I, I, and you know, every time I would think like, Oh man, wow, that Jameson smells so good. I would just be like, mm. remember, just mm-hmm. remember that hangover. Remember mm-hmm. that, you remember crawling, mm-hmm. in, you know, in front of people, just crawling. And and I would force myself to remember that. And then, so now there's no... And now it's automatic that you remember it? Um, no, I just, I just have... I just don't have any positive... I have no longer have any positive associations with the smell of alcohol. Right. You know, going on this tour right now, I was really scared. I really thought that I was, like, sticking my head in the lion's jaws, you know, because I'm out right now promoting a record that's all my old songs in praise of oblivion. You know, fuck right. the world and, like, bottoms up. And, you know, been playing and performing in a ton of dive bars and... You know, night after night, you know, emotionally damaged young men come up to me and are like, bro, that song where you're wasted, man, I love that song. You know, I got you this shot, you know, and then I have to say, I'm retired. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, And I haven't craved a drink once on this trip. Yeah. I'm tired. I'm so tired. I'm fried. I'm totally exhausted. There, You know, there's been... I've been lonely, I've been angry, I cried, I gained 10 pounds from eating at Waffle House, I, now I have like a burgeoning gummy bear addiction that needs to be dealt with. 
never once did I want to drink. Yeah. It's just, it's over, man. How long has it been? Uh, creeping up on six years. Mm-hmm. And, okay, talk to me about the mushrooms. So you, Yeah, let's talk about mushrooms. So, but you, t- you still take mushrooms? Absolutely. How often? Uh, whenever I get the chance. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you know, and usually ends up being whatever, three or four times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that much. No. Um, yeah, and, and that's the thing, it, which is, you know, that's, you know, I have a, a lot of different ways of facing down criticism of it or, or saying that that's not sobriety. Um, it, you know, which is anecdotally, how many mushroom addicts do you know? Yeah, none. When was the last time that you ate mushrooms, woke up the next morning and were like, you know what I'd like right now? Some more mushrooms. Right. No, you're like, I'm never putting that disgusting donkey shit wood in my mouth ever again. You know? I don't know if I woke up and said that. Yeah. <laughs> you, the, you said the, the Anna David version of that. <laughs> I think the Anna David version of that was like, that was super fun. I will definitely do it again, but I'm not making plans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I, I'm... I will do it again, but not for a while. Yeah. Because I got enough. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, the, you know, personally from, you know, from my experience, um, mushrooms, doing mushrooms is great because I have fun Mm -hmm. and I think weird thoughts and I, and I think things that I wouldn't think otherwise. And I, I recall things that I wouldn't recall otherwise. And I always, the next morning I have pages and pages of notes Mm -hmm. and also, Coming down sucks. It's unpleasant. And that's that's an important thing to remember, too. And that the process of coming down, I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I You know, I don't enjoy feeling like this. And it's enough of a callback to my old life that I'm like, oh, man, yeah. When I wake up tomorrow, I'm going running. And I got to, like, burn all this out. And I usually, like go through my phone and like delete 10 phone numbers. Cause I'm like, I don't need these people in my life. They're not contributing to my life. The I people you, that you were doing streams uh, with? Or? No, no. Just other people who I'm like, oh. you know, this is a friendship that I, I don't need to maintain. I don't need to be in touch with this person anymore. We were buddies at one point and like, they don't make any positive contribution to my life. And so like ayahuasca, like it heals something. Uh, I've never done ayahuasca, so I, I couldn't speak to that. I but could see from, you doing it. Though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, eventually I will. Yeah. Um, I just got to find a way to do it without the like hippie attendance because that. Yeah, I don't know. So at this point nuts. in time, it might be impossible to yeah. avoid that. If I can do it without wearing moccasins, then uh, <laughs> then I'll do it. Um, but then also, like, let's look at the science. Um, Ten years ago, you know, marijuana was basically reefer madness. Mm-hmm. In the last eighteen months, the last two years. You know, more and more hard empirical data is coming out showing that um, that there's a lot of benefits to medical marijuana, and there's absolutely risks as well. Yes, um, and I and I do think that um, you know there's a lot of people using medical marijuana or just using it for kicks. Yeah, and um, arguably you know, I, more than are using it for the yeah, um, and. Um, you know, it's certainly not something that I'm like going to encourage my sister's kids to do, but um, we need to deal with what the, you know the war on drugs, whether it's an official war um, sponsored by a government or just 
the war on drugs in our brain, you know, that, oh, these things are evil, we need to keep them out of our lives. We need, that needs to change. Mm-hmm. Not just human beings, but tons of different animals have a, a long relationship with intoxicants. Mm-hmm. Um, what are these other animals that have a long relationship? There are uh, there are deer that eat hallucinogenic mushrooms, and then will even go and eat urine drenched snow because the mushroom stuff is in that urine, mm-hmm. and you know they'll eat it. You know, and like monkeys eat fermented fruit and stuff like that. Um, you know, there's uh, it plays a role. Um, you know, and one one of the things about mushrooms, you know, it's been proven. Uh, Johns Hopkins did a big study on. Uh, on mushrooms that show that shows that uh, parts of your brain that ordinarily don't communicate with each other when you're you know when you're taking mushrooms they speak to each other which is why you have things like you can smell a color um, and you know 16 months after um, you know tripping in a controlled environment pe- you know people reported less depression a greater sense of feeling connected um, it's a lasting positive effects. Um, I, and I, and even in the fifties and sixties, when they were experimenting with, with psilocybin and LSD, they found that it was an effective medicine for combating alcoholism. Well, Bill W Bill was Wilson. on, Bel- yeah. was on Belladonna when yeah. he had his big epiphany. You know, and I, I don't understand. It just seems, it seems to me very puritanical that people are going to just sort of like, you know, we, we need to throw this all out. Um, it just it's all garbage it all needs to go you know psilocybin and meth they're not the same thing right you know and and we need to understand that there are some things that have you know that have a positive you know can have a positive role in our lives but you do understand that there are people and, and plenty of them that any kind of alteration from you know of the mind would trigger them to Absolutely. And, you know, and you sort of have the opposite where the come down from mushrooms makes you sort of remember how much you don't want that. But I mean, the majority, I mean, I just know anecdotally from the people I know who then try it. And it's true. I can't say off the top of my head. I know people who are like sober and they're like, I'm going to go do shrooms. And then they went and had, you know, the wheels fell off the bus again. But, but, you know, I think for a lot of people and, and it's not better or worse, there's just no interest in it. Well, here's here's another idea. To, if if we classify marijuana as a forbidden substance, mm-hmm. and then somebody who's a sober alcoholic goes and takes one hit off a joint, and then they and then, and then they go back to drinking, are they going back to drinking because the marijuana did something in their brain and and reactivated something, or? <laughs> Are they doing something, or do they go back to drinking because they rationalize to themselves, I've already done something forbidden. Right. I've already done something on the other side of the line, and that's why I'm going back, you know, and that's an excuse right. for me to go back to what I really want, which is alcohol. Well, I'll tell you, I did have that experience, which was just that I that I drank, and then I did four, hits, four and a half hits of ecstasy that night, and I, I consciously said, I drank... So why don't I just go full oh, hog? Yeah. But I actually got sober the next day. Mm. So I don't know. But I, I had that. I, I the stories I hear from people are more, 
you know, I did it. I and a lot of people who just made the conscious decision, who just said, I don't think I'm an alcoholic. I can do this, or I don't like this program, or whatever it is. And then the, the you know progression. There's just a progression. Yeah. You know. A. Um, you know, I mean, I, I I have to say this in every podcast, in every interview. I'm I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. Right. I'm not advancing that. You know, the stuff that I say. It's my opinion. <clears throat> you know, it's my opinions, and I generally phrase them as questions for a reason because I am groping my way forward in in my sobriety and trying to find my place in the universe and to try and make sense of my life and my past and stuff like that. But, you know, a 25-year-old dude wrote to me and he was like, I'm, I'm drinking way too much. Um, you know, I need to, I need to figure this out. You know, what, what do I do? You know, how do I, how do I cut back or how do I cut down or how do I stop or whatever? And, uh, and I told him, I said, if you need to make the evaluation, if you're an alcoholic or not, um, if you're not an alcoholic, stop drinking immediately because if you're drinking too much, you'll become one. Right. If you're an alcoholic, you should keep drinking because if you're 25, you're probably not ready to quit. Ruin your life. (coughs) Right. Go, you know. Because my experience is it's it's incre- it's very very hard to quit until you're fucking desperate and you'll do right. anything to you know to quit. And I really think I blew his mind right. because he was like, "You just told me the exact opposite of what I thought you were going to tell me." Right. And um, and I was like, "Yeah, that's my role." <laughs> but I've also heard you say, I know I've heard you say that you've told people who ask you, go to AA. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and part of that is, I do believe, I absolutely believe in, um, you know, the power of friends and friendship and, um, a peer group, whether you're, whether your illness is tuberculosis or cancer or alcoholism or sex addiction, having other people who are going through what you're going through to talk to is helpful. If you've lost a child or right. if you're, you know, if you're hooked on crack, you know, we know that. Um, the other, th- the other thing is that my story is remarkable because it's so different from the you know the traditional narratives of how people get sober, um, and I don't have enough data to to tell someone yes this is how you do what I did. Um, I, I I understand now that my story is different from other people's, um, and also I'm a human being and. I'm a guy like just struggling to get my pants and my shoes on every morning. Right. And if you have 40 emails in your inbox of people like asking for help, um, nobody wants to go to AA. No. That is an excellent litmus test. If you are so desperate yeah. to quit drinking that you will even go to AA. Yeah. The worst place on earth, the last place your mother or you wanted you to end up. Exactly. Yeah. And that's and so that's a great way for me to tell um, 
man, I have, there's this like demographic of like 59 year old women who love to write to me after a couple of glasses of wine yeah, don't and, that. and talk about their drinking and, and they don't want to stop drinking. They want fucking attention, Yeah, you know, and to tell somebody to go to AA is a great way to separate the people, um, who want to get help from the people who want to fuck me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, to be fair, a hundred percent of them could. <laughs> And, you know, and I was going to say this, I was thinking about this, like the women I know who know you, we have so got to wrap up because it's over an hour and we don't go over an hour, but I do want to say this, like, you know, whatever, it's a podcast, people can Google you really easily, but you know, you do look the way that you look and I feel like I am the one woman I know who knows you, who thinks of your brain before the rest of it. Like I do not, (laughs) I, I, I feel like from the beginning because we met over email and you were giving me advice about the Kindle singles and stuff like that. But yeah, I do know women who, who like mention your name and they go, they fucking lose it, dude. Um, and I feel like I've always been very, I have no idea what you're talking about. I know, whatever, whatever. (laughs) Worth saying, if only to pat myself on the back for my deep respect for you and your brain. Um, but I do. Okay. Since we have to wrap up, we have to mention your books very briefly and tell people that if you want to hear more of this, yeah. In the written form, although also in the audio form, because I believe yes. they're on Audible. List your titles, please. Uh, Shipwrecked is the first Kindle single I published. I got shipwrecked in 2001 mm-hmm. and got rescued by the Coast Guard and still have the t-shirt to prove it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Long Run was, is the sort of mini memoir um, of how I totally fucked up my life and then unfucked it. Um, and how running was a tool that I used to to maintain my sobriety and, and uh, sort through the gulag of my past. Um, Are You Lonesome Tonight is about a particularly committed stalker mm-hmm. who I have, and it was an incredibly distressing episode of my life. Uh, bachelor number one, <laughs> I... <laughs> had a uh, reality TV show reach out to me uh, to be on a, a dating show, and yeah. I really could not think of a worse person right. <laughs> right. for that. Uh, Beat the Devil is about my experience uh, chasing the rock and roll dream and how much havoc it wreaked on my life. And uh, my last one was uh, Of Mice and Me, um, which is the story of me adopting a tiny little newborn mouse and um, how it really made me, you know, forced me to come to terms with my own desire to not have children, my self-loathing, my relationship with my family, all that stuff. Um, and I have I have a new record out called Coward's Path that just came out last week. Uh, a, a quote from Johnny Depp on the, about the record. What's his quote? What does he say? It, uh, he said, uh, forever a favorite, sublime. Great. Which, which sounds just like Johnny Depp. Um, so, okay, just quick question, not to miss the point of all of those works which you need to buy. And I think you are the most, whatever, the most successful Kindle single author. Uh, I'm, I have the most Kindle singles. Right. Uh, Stephen King and I were tied for number one, and then I got, uh, and then I published my last one. Um, but quick question, is the mouse still alive? Is the mouse still with us? And you have a cat now, right? Am I, is social media... Uh, no, I just, I have, um, <laughs> it's like my friends, when I come home from tour, they're like, yo, let me see your phone. I know you have like all kinds of titty pics. Yeah. No, man, I have pictures of cats and dogs. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it is in contrast to what one would I, I don't have a pet, but I think about them often. 
As soon as I leave New York, I'm getting a dog. And we're, we're going to have an awesome time together. Oh, you guys are going to be hiking at Running Canyon, which is right down the street. So yes. there you go. Yeah. I will say, yeah, I, I almost texted you when I saw the picture of the cat because that it looks just like my Lily. Uh-huh. Um, but, but okay, so, so buy your books, buy your album. You're on tour until when? Uh, I have another 10 days, and then I will be in England doing press for the record. And then I will be back out doing a West Coast run in... Uh, from mid-May to early June. It's all on your site. Yes. MishkaShivali.com. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank Fucking you. delight. Awesome. <laughs> so that was Mishka Shibali, the author, the musician, the sober guy. Yeah. I, he calls himself sober. I call him sober. Yeah. Why not? Um, yeah. Great guy. Interesting guy. Go check him out. Um, go read his Kindle singles if you want to read the Kindle singles by the best-selling Kindle single author. And um, and keep listening to this podcast and uh, telling your friends and downloading and subscribing and reviewing if you're so inclined. So thank you. Thank you. I miss you guys when we don't talk. I'll talk to you soon.